Well, as Jesus wraps up this uh, most famous sermon in the world by the best preacher the world has ever known, um, he begins to move into a series of uh, choices and really warnings. Um, and the warnings are what we're looking at today. Um, we're, these, this sermon has all, been all about the kingdom of God, what Jesus is, has, has come to bring the, the, the movement of Matthew is that the, king, the kingdom is here. Jesus is um, teaching with authority. He is backing up that authority by healing people, by doing miracles. And he's saying, the kingdom's here. This is what Israel has been waiting for. God has sent the Messiah. I am he, and this is how we go forward, and this is what life looks like inside the kingdom. And as he wraps this up, and we're going to finish it next week uh, on Easter, talking about building our house on the rock. We're going to talk about the hope that... Uh, the gospel provides, that Jesus provides. When, he, when you live out his words, when you embrace his message of the gospel, it gives you solid footing in the midst of a chaotic world. But today, he's given these warnings, two warnings. He says, first of all, there's going to be false teachers that come and claim to be preaching, claim to be speaking on behalf of God, claim to be giving you the word of God, and yet they're not, and they're dangerous. They're leading people to destruction. They will do great harm. And then the second warning is that, hey, there will, all, there will be people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be following Jesus, and they actually aren't. They might even look the part, say the right things, talk the talk, walk the walk, those sorts of things. But he says, in reality, they're as far from him as those who never claim to be Christians. So make sure that's not you. This is... This is sobering. This is not the uplifting end that you might have expected for the Sermon on the Mount. It gets, it gets, it gets, it gets hard. It, it, these are not hard verses to understand so much as they are hard to kind of process and hard to uh, take and, and apply because they're, they're sobering. And so uh, initially when I, when I see this and I hear Jesus talking about false teachers and, and false, professions, pro, false professors, right, people who claim to be, it, initially it frustrates me because it reminds me of a part of the, the world and Christianity and our culture specific here in the Bible Belt that really, honestly, I hate. And it, and it frustrates me uh, whenever I hear about another church, another church leader that's exposed as, you know, false teacher. It's exposed as being caught in sin and has just been swindling people, right? One more headline for the world to, to hold up and look at as, as a disgrace, somebody who's been uh, peddling the gospel for their own self-gain and has actually been a false teacher the whole time. It, it, it makes me angry. It makes me angry when, when those guys end up on TV representing Jesus, representing our, our team, if you will. I, I want to I cry out. They're, they're, they don't speak for us, right? They, they don't. They don't carry frustrated at the, those list of churches that, that seem to be growing and, 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 and preachers that seem to be getting uh, exposed more and more. And then I also get frustrated and, and, and burdened and concerned and sad at the amount of people, again, it's real prominent in our area, that, that will say that they're Christians, but there's absolutely no evidence of them following Jesus or having been transformed in their life. And you know people like this. I'm sure that you have, have prayed for people and maybe still are praying for people. And, but if you're honest, you've tried to bring it up and they know what to say. Y'all know somebody like this? You don't see any evidence of them being a Christian. And so you, you, you try to share the gospel with them because you don't want them to go to hell. Amen? But when you, when you bring up the gospel, they know the right answers. Oh yeah, I prayed a prayer whenever I was such and such age, or I, I, I believe in Jesus, right? So, so they, they give this lip service, they give this oral confession, but that's, that's where it is. They have no compulsion to come to a church. They have no compulsion to, to live out the rest of his commands. It hasn't changed their life one bit, and, and yet they, they will say it with their mouth. And, and we call that cultural Christianity, where people are, are Christians kind of by default, just because they grew up in, you know, the Bible Belt. I, I, I've said this before, but when my wife and I lived in St. Louis, it was somewhat refreshing because there wasn't any pretending in that, in that urban culture. Like nobody, nobody felt pressure to say they were a Christian. They were just really honest. No, I'm not. And it's cool. Like, oh, you are? Cool. Tell me about it. Like, it was just like, and here, people feel a pressure to say that they're a Christian. They feel a pressure to say that, that they belong that it, because for them, it's about family tradition. It's about, well, my family is a Christian. My, you know, I'm on this, like, there's so many people that aren't in church this morning, haven't been in church in years, but their name is on some 
church roll somewhere, right? Um, because they went there as a kid with grandma and made a confession of faith, and you know they they've been on this Baptist church roll, and it's you know pages and pages long, and they've never been there in years. And and this is really common in our area, where people make this, this profession. And, and, and what, what happens with that, the reason we care about that, the reason Jesus cares about that is it's false assurance. Like, we, we don't want to pull that punch because Jesus says they're headed to hell still. They have not actually been saved. He's not talking about, just to be clear, he's not talking about people who have been saved and have lost their salvation. We've addressed that earlier in, the, in, in, um, in this series and in other times. Like, if, if you've really been saved, you, you don't lose your salvation because Jesus holds it. He's the one who's done it, right? And he, he, he cannot lose you. And so, so that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about people who claim to be, maybe even believe that they are, but have never actually been saved. It's, it's cultural Christianity. It's related more to, you know, this is what I do. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I, I go to church or, yeah, I, you know, I, I grew up in this area. I vote Republican. I do these things, right? Like, it, it's related to all of these cultural things that, that, and Jesus says, that's not at all what I'm concerned about. And so, initially, I get frustrated because I'm like, yeah, I can't stand that part of, of our world and Christianity, and, and, it, and it's a tough part of ministering in this culture. And then, when I think about it a little bit more and I realize that Jesus is saying this right here at the jump of the kingdom, right here at the start, it actually gives me a little bit of comfort. Because Jesus is not caught off guard by this. In fact, he told us to, to be on the lookout for us. He, he warned us that it would be like this. So he knew that it would, it would happen this way. It, it's a part of the kingdom. He, 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 he talks about it in other places, the parable of the sower. He says, it's like seed getting scattered. You're going to have people that respond, but they didn't actually, it didn't actually take root. It didn't actually change their life, and so they're going to fade away. Like, and so he's actually not caught off guard by this, and, and that gives me a little bit of peace to go, okay, like, this, this doesn't mean we're in this unreachable vortex of the Bible Belt where people are inoculated to the gospel and will never see any fruit. doesn't mean that. Why? Because Jesus says, yeah, it's, it's a part of it. It's part of ministry. Beware. Keep pushing. Take, <laughs> preach the word. Let it do its thing, and I'll handle the, I'll handle the ministry. Like, so it's good news that Jesus knew this was happening. He knew that we would find ourselves in an area like this. He knew that, that these things would ebb and flow. He knew that the preacher that you just read about that got exposed, you know, whether it's you know, Hillsong or whatever, like whoever it is, right? He, he knew that would happen. He's not like frantically making a new plan. Say, nope, still all in on the church. Church is his plan A. Right? He'll handle them. It's what he says here. They'll be handled. They'll be judged, right? So he warns us, but he also gives us a little bit more. He doesn't just say, hey, watch out. He gives us a little bit more to go on. And so let's look at this passage together. Verse 15. Uh, again, this comes right after he's talking about the gate uh, being narrow and the way being straight and narrow and that, that leads to life, right? But the way that leads to death and destruction is wide, right? Everybody's on that path, but only those who have followed Jesus, only through the narrow gate of confessing Jesus Christ as the only way and following him, forsaking all other things, only through that do you find life. Right after that, Jesus shifts and goes, okay, now beware of false prophets. Now, what's a prophet? Like, sometimes you think about somebody who's just telling the future, and, and many times they did that, but it, it's much more than that. A prophet is someone who speaks for God. It's someone who speaks on behalf of God and delivers the word of God to the people of God. Okay, so in many times before they, they actually held a written, canonized Bible in, in their hands, God was actually speaking to these prophets and telling them, go say this to my people. So they were actually God's mouthpiece for his people. Um, now, you know, he's no longer speaking that authoritative word to his people as far as new revelation. It's closed. And so now we have preachers and pastors who serve in that role of, hey, delivering the word of God to the people of God. And, and um, exposing it, you know, that's what we do, expository preacher. We want to expose what's in here. We want to apply it to today's world. We want to apply it to us. And so he's called us to do that. And so that, 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 that word prophet is broader than just one who's going to tell the future. It's one who's going to interpret the past. It's one who's going to talk about the word of God and apply it to the current situation. That it's, it's, a, it's a preacher. It's a teacher, someone who's speaking on behalf of God. And he says, hey, there's going to be people who come claiming to be speaking to you on behalf of me, and yet they are not 
giving you my word. They're false prophets. But it's not going to be obvious. It'd be one thing if it's like they're wearing a sign, right? They got a, they got a jersey that's clearly for the other team. But no, he says what? They're going to be, they're going to come in sheep's clothing. They're going to look like us. They're going to look like Christians. They're going to, they're going to know how to play the part. They're going to know how to dress like a pastor that you would respect. They're going to know how to say the words that you expect to hear. They're going to know how to you know, manipulate the, the message just enough so that it sounds like they're preaching God's word. But he says, but beware, because inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now that word ravenous, is, it translates into, into harpax, which normally means to swindle or extort. Okay, so, so right there, that idea of being ravenous is, is normally applied in other places in the scripture, in the Greek, to, to somebody who is, who is a swindler, who's an extorting money out of somebody, who's trying to, to pull one over on you to get money out of you, right? So this reminds the readers that oftentimes the motivation, this, this should remind us that oftentimes the motivation for false prophets, for false teachers, is indeed their own personal gain. False teachers oftenly profit, like, really handsomely off of the, the, the preaching of a distorted and twisted gospel. I mean, we've talked about it before, but there, there's pastors and preachers and televangelists that are using the money that they've compelled people to give or manipulated people to give to buy their own private jets and to live in multi, multi-million dollar homes and, and, and to take advantage of people and prey on people, oftentimes in really impoverished parts of the world. The prosperity gospel is most, um, gets the most traction in parts of the world that are really, really impoverished. Third world countries, they fly in there, they do these big events and they tell people, if you, you know, Plant your seed by giving this amount of money. God will bless you. He will cause you to prosper. And then they take their money and get on their jet and leave and go to the next place. And they take advantage of people, right? So that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the far end of the, of the, of the scale. And those are, those are a little easier to see. Those almost are wearing the other jersey, right? Those guys almost are identifying themselves. They've, they've almost stepped out of sheep's clothes. They're, they're almost just wearing the wolf skin. Those guys are a little easier to see, at least for most of us that have had our, our nose in the Bible for a season. But then there's others that aren't quite so obvious, right? That, that, that man, they're not, they're not really that clear about the prosperity. They're not really clear about, you know, this false gospel. They're, they're more in the sheep's clothes, and, and, it's, and it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell what, you know, if this is an obvious false teacher or not. <clears throat> Sometimes these false teachers are, are simply the people who are trying to soften the edges of the gospel, these are the people who are, who are taking away the judgment of God out of their message, taking away conversations about sin, making God a, a little bit more socially tolerable and palatable for the culture. You see, it becomes more subtle. It becomes more marketable to the mainstream. And then even more confusing than that, it's not always that they're after their own personal gain, right? That they don't always start out that way. They don't always even have that in mind. They're not always after prestige or power. They often are, but <clears throat> the, the word there, like the, the idea that they're wolves, that they're ferocious wolves even, means that, that it's dangerous, that, that any Changing of the gospel message is dangerous. No matter what the intent is, if they have a good heart and they're just trying to preach the love of God to people in a way that more people will listen and hear about God, if they're, if they're sanding off the edges of the gospel, if they're trying to make the, the narrow gate a little bit wider, if they're trying to make the gospel a little bit more palatable to people and not talk about that sin stuff, not talk about that judgment stuff, then, then what Jesus says is it doesn't matter if they have a good heart and a smile on their face or not, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's going to harm people. It's going to lead people to death. So you need to be aware. Be aware. So what do we do? Jesus says, well, you can, you can pick them out. 
You can pick them out. It's so curious that this comes in context of the whole judge not. Right? It tells us not to be a people who are just judging everybody for everything that they do a little bit differently than we think we should do. That, that's not how we want to be. But then he was real quick to say, but you still have to have a critical eye. You still have to, to be discerning. And so here's just another validation of that. Another qualifier of that is like you need to, you, my, my old pastor used to say, we're not called to judge, we're called to be fruit inspectors. I don't know what that meant as a kid. It seemed weird to me, but that's what he said. And, what, and this is what he's talking about. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. So he says, you're not sure who's a false teacher? You're not sure who's a swindler? You're not sure who to, who to trust? Look at their fruit. Well, he says very simply, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So again, that's just a real quick reminder. God will handle this. Okay? He will judge them. When you get, like me, when you get frustrated at these pastors of oftentimes megachurches, and not megachurches are not the problem. There's a lot of really solid megachurches. When we see these high-profile pastors and preachers that are, that are harming people by their actions, by their, by their false teaching, I get angry. I want to I I call them out. I want the world to know. Jesus says, I, I got it. I'll take care of it. At that point, they're good for nothing but firewood. I'm going to cut that tree down. I'm going to throw it in the fire. Like, they will be judged. They will be handled. It says, so rec you'll recognize them by their fruit. So check their fruit. Look at what, look at what is coming out of their ministry. The first way that, that we want to check their fruit is, is, is just listen to their preaching. And, and, and listen to it. Not Don't give them authority just because they put on a suit or some fancy clothes and somebody gave them a microphone and a stage to preach on. Don't do that. The authority is, is here. And if, I'm, if I or any other preacher is preaching something that isn't found in here, ignore them. Maybe it's good self-help stuff. Some of these guys, I'm like, y'all, if you would just don't claim to be in a church, I don't care if you share your message of self-help, but it's when you tie it to Jesus and say that it's the gospel that I have real problems with it because you're leading people to hell. You're paving the road for them that leads to that. You're making it easy for them to follow in the wide path that leads to destruction. Jesus says the narrow way is hard. The narrow way is hard. It's not going to be all roses and easy living. No, it's going to be hard when you follow Jesus. So check their preaching. Like, listen to them. Does it align? Is what they're saying actually align with God's word? We'll get a little bit more practical as we go on, but just real quickly. True prophets who are led by God... They describe and evaluate events, past, present, and future. They call people to repentance. True prophets are not afraid. In fact, they, they are compelled by God to articulate hard and painful truths, which rebellious people do not want to hear. Okay, so a true preacher, a true prophet from God is going to be calling people out for their sins, and the people who are in those sins don't want to hear that. In Isaiah, Israel told the prophets, don't prophesy to us what is right. Do people actually say, hey, don't, don't tell us what's right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let, let, us, let us no more hear about the Holy One of Israel in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 10 and 11. People are saying, hey, stop it with that whole hard talk stuff. I, I had a friend who was in youth ministry. His personnel committee at a Baptist church actually told him, stop quoting the Bible so much. He called me. He's like, Jordan, I think I got to go. I was like, I think you do too, bro. Like, it's a bad deal. Like, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, you're always quoting the Bible. Yeah, that's what you pay me to do, right? Like, it's, but when, when we don't want to hear it, when we want something else fed to us, as we're going to see in a minute, we want our ears scratched. We want to shut that down. That's what people are doing in, in Isaiah chapter 30. Second Chronicles chapter 18 graphically demonstrates that false prophets can think that they speak for God, but they're actually not. They tell people what they want to hear. Jeremiah calls them out. God actually calls them out through Jeremiah, saying that there's, there's people, there's pastors, there's preachers, there's prophets that are saying, peace, peace, everything's good, when everything's not good. 
saying, it's, it's all good. Don't worry about, you know, trying to get your life in order with God. Don't worry about getting your sexual ethics straight. It's fine. If you want to be that way, you want to live that life, it's okay. Like, it's all good. Like, that's what people are doing right now. God loves everybody, right? It's okay. Do whatever you want. We don't want to tell people it's wrong. We want to be loving. Jesus loved, can we just agree Jesus loved people more than any of us? He called out people all the time. Why? Because he loved them. There's a story about the rich young ruler. It comes to Jesus and says, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, follow the commands. He says, well, I've done all those. Jesus says, all right, well, then go give, take everything you own and give it to the poor, and then you'll have eternal life. And in that, it says Jesus does it because he loves him. Why? It sounds like he's doing a works-based thing. No, no, he's calling him to give up the thing that's actually standing between him and God. It's a personal thing. Why? Because that's what's standing between him and God. He's saying, give that up and you'll have life. He, he calls people out because he loves them. So if we're going to actually love people, we need to tell them the truth. I, I know we've said it before, but I think it's so helpful. I, I don't remember. I think it's Penn, a Penn and Teller. The guy's an atheist, right? He, he, he does not believe in Christianity. But he calls this out by saying, if you believe what you say you believe, that Jesus is the only way, that anybody who doesn't follow Jesus is headed to hell, if you believe that and you don't try to proselytize me, that's the most unloving thing you could ever do. You see what he's saying? If we believe what we say we believe and we're not trying to tell other people about it, if we're not trying to tell people that they're on their way to hell, and, and, and that there's a way into heaven and his name is Jesus, then we're not loving them by making their life comfortable. That's what Jeremiah is saying. There's prophets saying, oh, peace, peace, when, when there is no peace. Again, this is not surprising, though. We see it in the Old Testament. Jesus warns us. Paul articulates it even more clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He gives specific language around his time. He says, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses uh, 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of stories Heartbreaking stories about deconstruction right now. People re-examining their faith and deconstructing the things they've been taught. And, 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 and oftentimes, sometimes walking away from the faith altogether, sometimes kind of reconstructing their own faith, their own way of following Christianity. It's leading to some, some things called progressive Christianity. It's not things, not Christianity. Okay? Most of the time, again, you've got to qualify what you're talking about there. But... So often what, what happens in those moments, it, it, it's not actually about somebody receiving a new piece of theology that changes their mind. It's not about them having a new apologetic that actually goes, oh, this is what's right about the world. It's most often, most often, about them having a way of life that they actually want to live, and so they're going to find a God and a belief system that will support the way they actually want to live. Does that make sense? They want to do a certain thing. They want to live a certain way, have their own sexual ethic, have their own way of doing life. They don't want to be told what to do. So they're going to find a belief system that won't challenge that and that they can hold up as, hey, this is, this is my faith. You know, we're, going to, we're going to pull a few verses out and hold this up as, as the deal. Paul says there's going to come a time when people won't endure sound teaching. They're going to want people to tell them what they want to hear, and that only. So, Christian, Jesus follower, our master, right here at the, at the start of the kingdom, tells us you need to be critical of your teachers and your preachers. It, not that you call out every little thing, like I'm going to mess up. But if, if, I'm preaching, if I'm not preaching the word of God, you need to let our elders know and you need to leave. Okay? Because it matters. And when you're looking for a church to attend and submit to, to be formed by, you need to pay attention to what they're teaching, what they're preaching. And then more than that, in today's world, there's some really good things happening where you can access world-class teachers and preachers at, the, at your fingertips. You can listen to their podcasts from their churches. You can, listen, you can watch YouTube videos. And that's a good thing. It can be a really good thing. But listen, you need to, be, you need to have this mindset for them too. If you're giving them Formative authority over your life. If you're listening to them in such a way that, that, that you're actually being challenged and changed and, and you're listening to them, you're giving them authority. Even if you're not in their church, you're giving them authority over you. You need to make sure that what they're saying aligns with the scripture. 
You need to be aware. You need to watch for them. Well, how will you know? Well, if they're soft on things like sin and repentance, if, if they really don't want to talk about things that are culturally sensitive, you know, issues like God's design for the family, sexual ethic, if when asked hard questions about the exclusivity of the gospel, if they start to have some universalist-type answers, what I mean by that, when they're asked questions on Fox News, or, or uh, what's the, Larry King used to interview pastors all the time, and he would ask them, you know, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to, to heaven? Oprah has done these same things. If, if in those moments, the pastors that you follow and listen to, if they, they kind of get slimy and squirmy, and they go, well, I mean, I'm not here to judge. We just want to talk about God's love. And the, Flags, right? Flag on the play. Like, you need to be concerned about that guy. If they won't take a stance on what God calls sin, sin, they won't take a stand on the exclusivity of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you need to assume that they are false teachers and shut them down. Do not give them authority over your life. They're trying to widen the gate. Okay? Jesus' gate it's not up for reconstruction. It's not up for debate. It's not up for widening. You're not going to make what Jesus said better. You're not going to make Jesus more palatable. You're going to lose Jesus in that attempt, right? So you, you can't do that. They're trying to widen the gate. They're trying to preach a message that isn't so harsh so that more people will like it, right? Not submit to it and be changed by it, but like it and keep coming to their services, keep coming to their events, keep giving to their Offerings, whatever, right? So that they'll get more followers, attenders, likes on, on social media, all of those things. Like they want to put out the best, you know, image and, and, and brand of Christianity that they can so that people will like it. Listen, God's preachers are supposed to preach the word of God, and the word of God is offensive to our selfish and sinful ways. It just is. That doesn't mean I need to be offensive for the sake of it. Some pastors, that's their deal, right? They just, they'll just attract people because just, they just say offensive things all the time. They take a political you know, stance and they just want to call it. Like, no, the gospel is, is offensive enough. It doesn't mean, need me to add to it. But when I'm preaching the gospel, it will be offensive to our sinful ways. So we should be preaching about sin and repentance and hell. It's unloving not to, okay? And you, again, you might be like, how, how do we know, right? Um, Sometimes you're like, well, I mean, I thought these people, I, I kind of go to them to tell me what, what God's word says, right? But this goes back to, the, you know, a balance between, you know, you don't want to just be critical and sitting on the sidelines judging everybody because they don't do church exactly the way you do, but you do need to be checking their, their teaching to see if it aligns with scripture. You need to be a, a discerning that. And the beautiful thing is, is that we live in this world, praise God, where we all have copies of this thing. If you don't have one, we say every week, there's one in front of you. Take that home with it. It's our gift. You can download a free app if you've got a phone, right? There's a thousand apps with, with bot. Like we all have access to the word of God. It's a beautiful thing. You, you should read history. What happens whenever only the people in power have access to the word of God, right? It, it gets manipulated. It gets twisted. It gets used to harm people. That's what the Reformation was all about, right? Gutenberg brings in the press. We're like, hey, we can preach all. Like everybody gets a copy of this. Like let's read it. Oh my gosh, what the church has been telling me is not true. Martin Luther, John Calvin, they start leading a reformation saying, no, no, you're, you just told us that to benefit you. We're going to go with this. So when a pastor you love is going this way and the Bible is going that way, we need to go with the Bible. Always. Okay? Always. It's just a, it's a simple default truth. So you have a Bible in your hands, right? Like that, that's a beautiful beautiful thing about this day and age. And so this is the standard. No matter how popular or dynamic this person is a preacher, we, uh, as a preacher, we measure what they're saying against the word of God. So just real practical tips. If you're watching somebody, you're at their church, whatever, and they're always preaching topical sermons. Topical's not wrong. We're going to do some topical series in the fall. It's not wrong. But if it's always uplifting to you, right? Never anything hard is said. Always makes you feel good. If it's always delivered with a smile and never any tears. If they never mention repentance, hell, judgment, sin, things like that. If they preach the majority of their sermon without referencing or explaining the Bible at all, that should be a flag for you. Right? If, the ver if it was just a, a, a verse to jump off of and then they spend the rest of their time over here just pontificating out of their own mind, that should be a concern for you. 
Okay? We should be walking through explaining this is what the Bible, thus saith the Lord. Like this is the job of the pastor to tell you thus saith the Lord, right? So if they moralize every story in the Bible to make you the hero, that's a problem. Spoiler alert, David and Goliath? You're not David. Jesus is, right? Jesus is the greater David, right? And, and so we rejoice that Jesus came to slay our enemies. Okay, so if every story that they preach on makes you the hero, you should have a flag there. Because the Bible doesn't make you a hero. The Bible makes you a sinner in need of rescuing. And Jesus is the hero who rescues us. And then we're more than conquerors through him. Amen? But it's Jesus the one who's done it. Back to the Scottish. I'm sorry I'm a Scottish accent. Wouldn't you just love to listen to that guy all the time? Sorry I'm not that cool, but back to what he said. It's about what he has done, okay? So, all right, so that, check what they're saying. Now, quickly, we're going to move on. Check, there's more, more to their fruit. Check their character. What is the fruit of their life? What, what is their inward, what, what is their life like? How do they live? Does it line up with the gospel, right? Do, are they... Are they someone who looks more and more like Jesus as they go on? The more you get to know them, the longer you know them, do they look more like Jesus? Or, or do they get more and more distant from the people and more and more concerned about self-promotion and more and more concerned about their image, more and more concerned about their brand? Are they disconnected from the body? Are these false teachers, are they people who are living in community with the church or are they kind of off on their own silo? They're kind of too good for the church. They're kind of doing their own thing, right? Are they prideful? Are they arrogant? Are they in love with money? It doesn't mean, do they have money? Okay, Got, like having money is not the sin. Are they in love with it though? It, it, does it drive their pursuits? Are they in love with fame? Are they wor more worried about, are, are they using your church as a platform to get their own name out instead of using the platform to get God's word out? Now, this gets hard because not every famous pastor is a false teacher. And not every man or woman who God gives a platform to is in sin, okay? So we have to be nuanced and discerning about this. These are not the only, like we've got to judge all of these things, all of their fruit, their teaching and their character, right? So you don't want to just, you don't want to just pick out one thing about them and go, see, I knew it. He's got his own website. He must be a false teacher. Well, maybe. I mean, that's a, it's a flag, doesn't mean they're wrong, right? And, and, and you might say, well, I, I don't know. How, how would I know this? It's a big church, or I don't know him, right? I, like, well, here's, someone should know him, okay? So if you don't know me, you need to ask my elders, who knows Jordan? Somebody watching his life. I don't mean like sitting over like a referee just blowing a whistle. Like, please don't do that. But does somebody know me well enough to know, like, hey, am I, am I living this out? Or, or, or am I just this guy when I'm up here in front of you? Because if I am, that's a problem. And it doesn't matter how productive it is when I'm up here in front of you. Too often, behaviors and character issues that should be disqualifying to a pastor get overlooked because the ministry seems to be working. Right? Too often because, well, people are coming to Jesus, people are getting saved, right? We're going to get to that in just a minute. But because the ministry seems to be working, we don't call the pastor out for their character issues. Like, there is qualifications to be an elder, to be a pastor of a church, and you don't just meet them at the front end and then you do what you want, right? That's like a PT test, like you just had to get in as a cop and then it doesn't really matter after that, like, if you can run or not. Like, no, that, that's, that's not how it is. Like, like, these character issues continue to matter throughout the life of our ministry, and if if we're not in line with those, then we need to be called out, and we need to be benched, and we need to be cared, cared for. Okay, and that, that's, that's another sermon. We need to be cared for, not just benched and forgotten, and moved on to the next guy who can preach for us. Okay? I'm a member of this church before I'm the pastor of this church. Okay? Will you, will you please know that? Can you do, like, I think our church does that better than most, but will you just please just make note of that real quick? My wife and I, my family and I, we're members here. We're members that God has called to be, you know, in leadership, but we're members. So we might need to be set down at some point. 
That doesn't mean we need to be spit out, okay? We've done that wrong, too, in, in the past. We collectively as a church. So let, let, let's, let's, let's make sure that we love each other enough to tell the truth, that we're not pulling those, those punches, right? So we need to examine the fruit of their character. They should look more and more like Jesus, right? They should be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. These leaders, if they if they're, have influence over your life, you should be caring about, do they have fruit of the Spirit in their life? And they should be causing others to have fruit of the Spirit in their life, which is this, the, the third thing you, should, you can examine with their fruit. What kind of followers are they, are they producing? Okay. What is their ministry cranking out? What kind of people leave their church? What kind of, what kind of behaviors are there people that, that have the, the name of, the, you know, like whoever's got the bumper sticker of that church, like how are they living, right? How, like what kind of followers are they, they producing? What, what, look at that fruit too. And, and, and that's, listen, those are not snap judgments, right? Like you can't just, I'm not on Facebook, Hardly at all. So you can't just scroll through my Facebook and make a judgment. Like, you're going you're gonna to have to take some time. Like, you, if you're, you're checking out the journey, you can't just make a judgment of, based off of what somebody said. People have said crazy things about our church, right? So you can't make a judgment off that. You've got to examine. You've got to look, right? What's the fruit of, of the journey? What's the fruit of our church? Like, what kind of people are, are, are leaving this place that are being formed by our teaching, our preaching? You've got to examine that. Jesus says there's false teachers. Beware. All right, he goes on, verse 21, to say there's also false professors. There's people who, who claim to be following Jesus that actually aren't. He says, this is, this is really sobering. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Now, this is really, really sobering. This used to haunt me as a kid. I've told y'all before, like, I used to just really be concerned of whether or not I'd got it right, whether I was really saved. And, and I, would re I would rehearse in my bed at night. I would, like, I didn't want my parents to know, but I had, like, a flashlight and a Bible. I was looking at Romans 10, 9. All right, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. You shall be saved, right? And I'm like, all right, confess it. I'm saying it, right? I believe, like I'm trying. Muster that belief, right? Like, all right I really do. Like, I didn't know what to do. Concerned. Because I know some people are going to get there and be like, nope, you weren't in. I'm like, ooh, how do I know? Can I get like an indicator light or something? I've really believed enough, all right? You're, you're in, ding. Okay, you're good. Like, I needed that. It's a sobering. But what he's saying here is it's actually possible for people who claim to be Christians to say the right things, to look the part, but they're actually as far from God as people who never claim to be a Christian. And if you're like me, you're thinking about, well, what about Romans 10 and 9? Because it does say, what does it say? It says this. It says, uh, if you, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, for the, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what's Jesus mean here? Is he undermining that? Was Paul wrong? Was Paul on his own authority in Romans to write this? No, it doesn't undermine it. it it's, it's simply uh, expounding on it, saying an oral confession is not enough. That just for somebody to, to orally confess, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I've been saved. That that's not enough. That there will be people who, who are saying that on the day of judgment, and Jesus will, say, will be saying, I, I never knew you. When he says, I, knew, I never knew you, it doesn't mean he's not aware of them. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows all of us, right? But he's saying, I never knew you as my child. I never knew you intimately in relationship. You never trusted me as your Savior. So, depart from me. So, as I said earlier, this is, this is more common in our area, I think, than it is in more urban and more secularized areas because people feel a pressure or a cultural just, you know, it's how we're raised to be, we're like we're Christians just because our family was a Christian. We're not, we're not Buddhist, we're not Muslim, right? We're, we're Christians. So we, we kind of we, we say that. And, and, and we, church, I think for years has, with right motives, tried to evangelize in, su in such a way that, that, you know, to it, it get as many people as they can to 
become a Christian and get into hell, but when we, or to get out of hell and into heaven, but when we reduce the gospel to a mere profession of a, or recitation of a prayer, we run the risk of giving people false assurance. We run the risk of, 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 of making people think they're okay, right? Inoculating them, if you will, like it's like, I don't want to bring up the vaccine, we'll get all triggered in here, but it's like, here you go, you're good. And then you're like, I got it, why, why do I get, why did I get COVID? I got the vaccine, right? Like, so there's going to be people standing on Judgment Day going, whoa, 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 I got, I, I got the shot. I got the card. Here, Bible school, 1992. Still, never, like, never expires, right? That's what they told me. And I don't, want to make, like, I don't want to make too much fun of that because that is the power of the gospel. If you've trusted in Jesus, it doesn't expire. You don't need no booster, Amen. It's good because the blood will remain. The blood never loses its power, right? That's good news. But Jesus is saying a mere oral confession is not enough. Because what Romans 10 says is is not just those who confess with their mouth, but also those who believe in their heart. And again, we just kind of reduce that and say, well, yeah, I mean, of course I believe that God is God and Jesus is. But like the the idea of belief there leads to repentance. The idea of belief is is like a deep, life-changing, oh, this is this is what, like, the idea of believing in your heart is not just this warm, fuzzy, like, let Jesus into your heart kind of conversation. Your heart is, is what drives your life. Your heart is your inner being that, that, like, leads you to do what you do. So when you accept Jesus as who he says he was, that what we're going to see next week is what, as people listen to this, they go, oh, my goodness, he preaches like a guy with authority. Well, Yeah. He does, because what did he say right here? Who's going to tell them, I never knew you? He says, I am. That's Jesus' authority right there. He's saying, listen, I'll be there on judgment day. You need to get this right, because who you're going to be staring at will be yours truly, Jesus says. So yeah, he has authority, right? And so he's the one who, who, who could say this. He's the one who can, who can say, you need to make sure that you're trusting in me, because he is the God of the universe, right? He is the one of whom we must ultimately give an account to. So when we believe that Jesus is that, that he's the son of God, that God, that he died on the cross for our sins and that God raised him from the dead, we make him the Lord of our life. That changes everything, or it should. And if it didn't, that's when you need to re-examine I'm not sure if I know him, right? Again, really familiar illustrations, but I think helpful. If I come to you here, I was a little bit late this morning because my wife's out of town, so I have my two boys, and it's chaos. I don't like hair and clothes and stuff, and the house is a mess right now. You go to my house, it's like, like a bomb went off. We got here, though. But if I come in here and I'm late, and I say, hey, sorry I'm late. I, got hit. I was on my way here, and I got hit by a truck. You're like, oh, what kind of truck was it? Like, oh, it was like a Mack truck. You're like, oh, you seem okay. Like, yeah, well, I mean, it was no big deal. I'm getting hit by a truck. Like, it's kind of a big deal, right? There should be some evidence of that on me, right? Should be looking a little rough. You would, you would, you would have questions, right? Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords. If we say we've encountered him and there's no evidence of it in our life, Jesus says, you need to re-examine your faith. You need to re-examine, is this going to be you? You say, well, how can this be? I mean, people who confess, like, is he really going to kick them out? Is he really going to say that he never knew them? I, I want you to look at it this way real quick as we, as we wrap up. Um, oftentimes in the scripture, God compares his love to us, our relationship to him with marriage. More accurately, he, he says that marriage is created to image for us, to to show us what our, our relationship with him is like. And so he will use that with the Old Testament prophets all the time to, to, to say, hey, I'm your husband, right? You, my people, are my bride, and you are you're, you're being an adulteress. Even more stronger language, he'll say you're being a whore because you're going to other gods, right? Your, your idolatry is adultery. When you worship other gods, you're, you're, you're actually committing adultery on him. Okay, so that, that's, that's a familiar thing in the scripture. I want you to just imagine this with me. There's a man who, who's cheating on his wife, multiple women, right? And she finally has enough. 
And she says, I'm done. We're done. Then divorce. You don't love me. And he says, what do you mean I don't love you? I told you this morning I love you. I, I tell you every day. Look at, your, look at your text thread. I told you I loved you. I love you. And she's going to go, but, but you don't. Because, like the love, it's not changing your behavior, right? It's not causing you to be fully devoted to me. It's not causing you to live differently because of your, you're still sleeping with other women. You don't actually love me. Well, sure I do, right? I got you those flowers last week. I brought you those earrings, right? We're filling the blank. I did these things. It's real similar. Jesus says, there's going to be people who are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't I say, Lord, Lord? Didn't I? I said it right. I called you Lord, Jesus. Jesus, maybe you didn't see it, but I did a bunch of stuff in your name. Like, this is crazy. Like, prophesy, casting out demons, doing many mighty works. Whoa, whoa, I love you, Jesus. We're good. He just goes, no, you don't. No, you don't. Right? Like, we know the difference between that man who's saying he loves his wife flippantly and, but not living it out. Like, we know that difference. We know the difference with, with us too, with the Lord. You, you know whether or not you've actually surrendered to Jesus and, and let him change your life. You, you know. You know if you're just playing church. You know if you're just playing this whole idea of being a Christian or if you've actually let him be the Lord of your life. A friend of mine who's telling this story, and he said that he was, uh, he was looking to rent a house. And as he was going around, he was looking at this one house, and the guy was showing it to him. He's like, yeah, yeah, here it is, man. All this will be yours. There's this one room, though. Like, I'm going to keep my stuff in that, so that one's, that's not really yours. Like, I, I'll keep my stuff in that room. The whole house is yours, though, but that, that room, my stuff will be in there. I'll need to come and go whenever I want, so just know that. Like, that's, that's my room. So you can, have, you can have access to everything else in the house, but not, like, it's all yours. Not that one, though. That's weird, right? That's a real story. I was like, that's strange. But many of us treat Jesus like that, don't we? Like, that's the people he's talking about. Yeah, 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 Jesus, it's all yours. It's all good. Well, I mean, you're talking about my sexuality here. Like, I'm going to need to keep that one for me. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, it's all yours. You, you can have my life. Well, I mean, I'm not going to, like, go on a mission field. I mean, yeah, Jesus, I'm all in, but I'm not going to give you that much money. Yeah, Jesus, I'm all in, but I'm not going to actually, like, go to community group. I mean, Sunday morning, sure, but, like, group, those are, that's fanatical. Right? Like, we, we, we have these rooms that are walled off. We're not giving him access to it. And he's saying, on that day, you will be exposed and, and you will be called out. Like, you need to make sure that Jesus is actually the Lord of your life. So how do you know if you're really saved? How do you know? How do you know if that's going to be you? Listen, you don't have to overcomplicate it. You just have to be honest. There's not this checklist of like, well, I, I've got this much fruit, and I, you know, let's, let's, let's really play out. Well, I've done this. I've done this. I think I'm good. I think the, you know, we're getting back into work salvation. You need to simply say, do you believe in Jesus? Like, not just a affirmation of the story, but like actually believe he is who he says he is. Like in a way that changed your life, that impacted your heart and changed the direction of your life. You made him the Lord. That's why when we baptize people, we say, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? That means you'll go wherever he says to go and do whatever he says to do. It's easy to say, yeah, in the moment, but is that how you treat Jesus? Do you, do you love God? Do you? I mean, this is the, these are the questions. Because you don't need to leave here feeling guilt. Like, I don't want people to have less assurance when they leave. The point of the gospel is that you can have assurance. But we don't want you to have false assurance. So simply, do you love God? Like, do you have a compulsion to actually obey his commands because of him? Not just because you want to get, like the guy with the, with, the, with the wife and the side pieces, he just wants to know how much he can do and still get away with it. How much do I got to say? How much lip service do I got to do? To, to keep this whole charade going, right? If that's how you're treating God, you need to examine, that, that's going to be you here. But if you're like, no, I sincerely want to obey, and I'm sorry when I fail. 
I'm sorry when I don't live up to who you call me to be, Jesus. I want to continue to surrender my life. Like if you have a, an angst to continue to grow in him, if you have a, a longing to be more like Jesus, if you love him, you worship him, if, you, if, if your life is, is built around him, then, then, then you don't need to fear. Like you're good. Like that's the evidence. You see, all what they were focused on is what have they done? Do you, know, you catch that? It's back to the video. What all they're saying is, well, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Scottish guy, Alistair Begg, says, no matter what you did, you answer it in the, in, the, in the first person, you've gone really wrong. But if you're resting in what he has done, and you're rejoicing, and your life is oriented around bringing him glory, yeah, you're going to fail. That's not what this is about. But that's true Christianity, people who have been changed from the inside out and are being changed. Progressively so. Me more and more and more like Jesus. Not holding back parts of our lives. Not giving him enough so that the world can think that we're good. But going all in for Jesus. Going all in with Jesus. So. This is, this is amazing. In that this is actually not a harsh judgment in this moment. This is actually a message of grace. You know Why? Because you're not on that day yet. How do I know? Because you're here. You're living. You're breathing. You're listening to me. It could happen at any moment. You could stand before God. But as of now, there's still hope for you. Some of you might be realizing, I don't think I've ever trusted Jesus. I don't think I've ever surrendered to Jesus. Well, listen, we don't want you leaving here with your head down feeling guilty. We want you running to the altar to meet Jesus. Because His grace is sufficient for you. Even if you've pretended for years, His grace is sufficient for you. Come. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Come, be saved. Like, that's, the, that's the, the wonderful, grace-filled news of the gospel. As you're the thief on the cross. You got no church attendance, no credit to your name as far as Christianity goes. What matters is what Jesus has done. If you grew up in church, your name's been on a church roll since you were six years old. And you've always been a part of it, but you never trusted him. You realize you've never been saved the, the invitation is just the same to you as is the thief on the cross. Trust in Jesus. Surrender your life. Make him the Lord. And you will be saved. It's good news, church. Let's pray. God, help us. As always, we need you to come and, and help us discern our hearts. Help us to see um, our true need for you in every layer and every area of our life. Help us to not... Be dismissive to the Spirit's prompting. Help us to cherish your salvation. Help us to have assurance in it. For those that are here that maybe are realizing, man, I don't think I've ever really been saved. I pray that you would, like I can't, that's a hard issue that only you can sort out, Lord. So would you make that clear to them and give them the faith to step forward and be saved today? Thank you, Jesus, for being our king. And I pray that we would be exposed by your Holy Spirit today, at Palm Sunday, the day that you rode into Jerusalem and people are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us. But then less than a week later, they're crying out, crucify him. For those of us that would fall into that category, Expose us today so that we may have life. We ask it and we hope it in Jesus' name.